This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to a Super Bloom podcast. The theme has really been uh, books and authors lately, and I'm not mad at it. I'm really not. What's funny is I do not have time to read books. I don't. Um, I would think that when my kids are with their dad that I'd have, I like, I imagine this Nancy Myers version of myself in which I'm just like sitting there, you know, with like a lemonade or like a vodka lemonade and like it's sunny out and I've got like a turtleneck that already has SPF built into it and a hat and like a, a bowl of like crunchy salty snacks and then like a and then a book in, in front of me in my hands, like a real book. I'm not an ebook reader, you know, like a real book in my hands, hardback, hardcover novel. And I'm just, you know, just fingertip to tongue, using my finger to swipe to the next page, just breathing in some lavender scented air, even though I have no lavender plants in my yard. But like, I imagine that I'm just so relaxed that I just somehow there's like the smell of lavender in the air. And I just like take a deep breath in and just blow it out and go like, ah, I'm so relaxed. And evolved enough to be just reading my fourth novel of the day. Yeah, that doesn't happen. It it doesn't. But I think, like, I'm like, one day I will be like that. Just like I imagine one day I will have a clean car all the time. Who? How? Who? If you are someone in the world who has a clean car all the time, wow. 
Like, I don't, I just have to accept at this point that I am 35, soon to be 36 years old, and I have never had a clean car for more than a day. Maybe even more than just a couple hours. It's, it is just, I can have a clean house. I myself can be like a clean person. I will always have a car where like I wouldn't be surprised if like friends came together one day and were like, Candace, we submitted you for this show Hoarders. It's a new spinoff of like the original Hoarders show, but it's for people and how they treat and drive around in their cars. Like that's, that is a reality show I could end up on. But yeah, I, I, (laughs) all this to say, I don't have time to clean my car. Yes, I do. And I just, I'm really bad at it. And I always say I don't have time to read books, but this podcast has been a wonderful excuse for me to just like butt in chair. I need to read. This is for a purpose. Like I, I, this is good for me, but also like I have to do this because I want to, you know, know about who I'm going to be interviewing or just like read the book that they have coming out. And it's been really, really nice. I, my first book that I, I mean, I I read as a kid because I had to in school. I, I learned how to read. I would read. The first book that really like made me feel something was Where the Red Fern Grows. And if you are of my generation, you immediately just went, oh, oh, it's, because it's sad. <laughs> and I was like a child when I read this book. And I just remember bawling my eyes out, you know, to my mom being like, did you know? Did you know that this was going to happen in this book? And she's like, I I'm no, I don't know what this book is. I've never read it. Like this is, and I'm not going to give it away in case you have to read it at school. But um, if you love animals like dogs and just really like to get wrapped up in a good story. Uh, But that was the first book where I went, oh, reading can make you feel things and take you to a different place. Um, I did not keep up with that, my passion for reading. I became one of those high school students that would just basically use sparknotes.com which is just like condensed versions of books and you're only reading what you need to know that will probably end up on a test. Uh, That's how I made it through the years of high school that I completed. And (laughs) so I was 18 years old and my boyfriend had just finished this book and was like, here, you should read it. And it wasn't that long. It's called like The Alchemist. And I was like, oh, yeah, 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 okay. And The Alchemist is a very famous book, you know, the solo man, solo woman, solo person journey, you know, it's very archetypal for how we, you know, get through very big things in in life. And, And if you haven't read it, it's like a must read, definitely read it. And it's very short. And I read it in a day and it just, um, it just, got me and and I I then was very very passionate about reading all the time I'd always have a book with me at work and then I had babies and then it was really hard to read and I remember Florence was um four months old and I was in LA it was in between the two final seasons of the Vampire Diaries and I was in LA and I'd had a a a nanny sitter that I was working with out there because we were out there for a couple weeks. And um, I ran out and I, and I came back home and <laughs> I'd had a book and it was given to me. It was by an author who uh, they were potentially, it was an early pressing of the book and 
And uh, so I was reading it because also I was looking to maybe option it. And... (laughs) And uh, I, but I'd maybe read like three pages and I'd read the same three pages over and over because I kept forgetting what I was reading. And I just like couldn't, I was like, I got to do this. This is important. I just couldn't get it done. (laughs) And I was like, well, this is just, this is just how it is. Like you can't read a book and have a baby at the same time. It's just impossible. And I came home and the nanny, the babysitter nanny who we were working with, she had read like a third of it. And like all the dishes were done, like all the di- all the bottles were washed. Like she read when the when the baby naps because my when they're four, when they're little like that they nap a lot more, and she just like didn't wasn't on her phone I guess when the baby was napping when Florence was napping and just read and I just was like man then it's just me I am having a hard time with this, and I've never fully recovered. And so that's why I'm so grateful that this podcast is slowly like getting me to, you know, get one step closer and closer and closer to becoming this like fictional version of myself that I have pictured in my mind who just reads like four books, you know, out in her lavender smelling backyard covered in SPF. And I'm going to get there one day, you know, that's it. It's important to set goals for oneself. Um, But I could not have been more excited to sit down with someone who not only relates to the sentiment that moms don't have time to read books, but who has built an entire empire off of this sentiment. Zibby Owens... If you don't know who she is, where have you been? Zibby Owens is an author, an award-winning podcaster, entrepreneur, and CEO. Owens founded Zibby Media, a privately held media company in 2018 with her award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. The company has since grown to include the publishing house, Zibby Books, the magazine, Zibby Mag, the podcast network, Zibby Audio, the education platform, Zibby Classes, and community events like retreats and book clubs and, and writing communities. She was celebrated as New York's most powerful bookfluencer by New York Magazine. Owens is also a regular contributor to Good Morning America and tons of other broadcast outlets. She is the author of the memoir, Book Ends, a memoir of love, loss, and literature, the children's book, Princess Charming, and she's the editor of two anthologies. Owens is a graduate of Yale University and Harvard Business School. She lives in New York with her husband, Kyle Owens, of Morning Moon Productions, and her four children. You can follow her on Instagram at Zibby Owens. Her book, Bookends, is fantastic. Uh, Her whole, how she has built this empire in such a short amount of time is very inspiring. Uh, I just want to jump right into it with Zibby. Guys, get comfortable and welcome to my conversation with Zibby Owens. Well, thank you so much for joining me on a Super Bloom podcast. I can't think of a better example of what a Super Bloom has occurred in your life in the last, um, you know, five, six, seven years. And I, for people who who don't know you, I kind of just want to start 
at the beginning instead of jump around too much because I um I am in I've been in my own process of divorce and separation. I too have kids. They're very young kids. I've spoken with other people on this podcast who've been through it, and it really is something that you don't know emotionally the toll that it takes on a person or a parent until you you've been in it. And so um, I would love to start with, I took a, a line out from, you wrote an essay on Medium about uh, the experience of books were something that really saved you while you were going through your process of divorce. And this is kind of like an inciting incident that would really change your life. A sentence that you wrote was, the fallout from our separation left me pushing a stroller up and down Madison Avenue, racing across town to pit to school pickups, suddenly unsupported by friends I thought would always be there for me, suddenly in conflict with my closest loved ones, suddenly in a life I hadn't imagined. Can you oh envision gosh. yourself at that point? <laughs> that took me back. <laughs> I'm like, what essay? Was that my diary? No, I'm kidding. I, I do write very openly about that time in my life. But yes, oh my gosh. I kind of look back now and just feel bad for that version of me. That was a tough time. I mean, it's a tough time for everybody to go through it. And uh, But yes, um, you know, it's like that out of body experience where you think your life is going a certain way. And then all of a sudden it completely veers in a different direction and, um, no place feels like it fits as well as it had before. You were at the time 38 years old with four children. Uh, your youngest was nine months old. (laughs) Yeah, right around there. He was nine months old when I decided to separate from my, yeah, when we decided that would be the way to go. I've spoken to many friends and on this podcast about how you do, it's really difficult when you have your life planned out and you've got this like calendar and you know when like all of your family photo card sending events of life will be. (laughs) You already know what you're doing like four summers ahead. You're like, oh, and then this age, they'll be ready for this camp. And then that's when we're going to go to this reunion for our family. And you have your entire life figured out. And suddenly when that goes away, you know, where some people would be like, wow, that's so liberating. It can actually feel incredibly paralyzing. And so at that moment, you were a stay-at-home mom. I mean, obviously you'd been, I know from researching you, you'd been writing forever. You, this was something that was, you'd always wanted to have a novel or memoir or collection of essays published. But at that point in your life, what did your now everything is different now what? Like, what did that look like for you? Did you have any sense and direction of what was going to happen next? I had some sense. I knew the kids would always be a through line and that all of that would be the same. But yes, that uh, ripping up of the of the f- fictitious holiday card that was coming down the pike was crazy. I mean, it was a time of life when I had to make a change and, you know, our family had to shift. And you realize, oh my gosh, I'm a single parent. Yes. My identity is within my family to a certain extent, but then also what is my identity outside? Like, did you have a job at this time where you stay at home mom, you, you had, which is also a job, but that also has to change when you need your own independent income and your own life when your children, as they get older, and also when they start to go to their other parents' household. 
I was a stay-at-home mom at the time. I had dedicated my entire life. I had done some things. And as you said, and thank you, Candace, I'm like so humbled that you're researching me and all this stuff and even interviewing me on a Super Bloom podcast. So thank you so much. Um, but I had done some entrepreneurial things. I was always really involved in boards. I've, I'm always really busy doing something. Like I, I don't, I'm not happy unless I'm really busy, but I wasn't working professionally. So I could sit, I could be at home and I, everything I was doing involved the kids. So it was a nonprofit, but it was kid related, things like that. So I had emails, but I was, I was at home and I was taking the kids everywhere and doing everything. And, um, Yes. When we separated, all of a sudden I was like, okay, now what? And then on the weekends, I was so depressed, honestly. And seeing the kids' rooms empty for those first few weekends was it, it, it was like another kind of hell, honestly. It was like they had been snatched away. And I knew why and I understood, but it's very hard as someone who had been uh, just so sort of enmeshed with the kids' lives to suddenly be wandering around my apartment being like, what do I even do with these doors? Do I keep them open? Do I keep them closed? Do I pull the shades? Like, I don't know. It was a very um, unsettling moment in my life. It's nice to hear you say that. The father of my children and I separated last year and I somehow just like for the first time started working like crazy and I hadn't worked like that in, in years. And uh, so when I wasn't with the kids and they were with their father, I was really, really busy. You know, I had to be on a plane somewhere. I had to go, you know, I had to fly to Europe. I had to go here. I had to go there. I was filming. And then all of a sudden this year where I'm more settled and things are kind of like slower, a slower roll into 2023, I'm having these bigger pieces of time where like the kids are with their dad and it is paralyzing. And that is what has been so fast, fascinating is the worst word. It's been depressing and sad. And uh, I didn't think I'd be walking into therapy, just bawling my eyes out on the weeks I don't have my kids going, what do I do now? Like I can busy myself to the, the sun comes up and the sun goes down, but I like, something, a part of me is missing. And hearing you, you know, talk on, on that feeling was so nice because I know so other people were, it actually was really um, a relief. Mm, they felt yeah. that they were able to focus more on a career. They felt they were able to focus on maybe a new budding relationship. They felt like they were able to do all these things that they, they just seized the moment and actually were able to be okay with it. And it has been really, really difficult. And I did not anticipate that part. And I felt like there was something wrong with me. So thank you for oh, mentioning no, that. There's nothing wrong with you. And it also doesn't even matter. I mean, I, I did end up in a new relationship and ended up marrying um, my husband now, Kyle, um, and was soon, you know, head over heels in love. It didn't dull that pain. Like I, you can be happy with some piece of your life, for me at least. I shouldn't, I shouldn't generalize. I can be happy with one part of my life, but when anything is going on with my kids, it destroys everything else. So not destroys, but permeates any, yeah. anything else. So yeah, I wrote this whole essay also called, um, like, let's call it divorce pain because I feel like people don't necessarily have a name for this breed of, 
of pain. And obviously there's so many worse things in the world and everything. And, you know, I'm so lucky. I have beautiful, wonderful kids who I adore and whatever. But um, that the forced separation I find incredibly painful. And I, I can't even say why. Some weeks I drop them off and I'm bawling on the street still. And you know, now I'm 46, I'll be 47 this summer. Oh my God, I can't even say that. Um, and it still happens sometimes. And then other weeks, it also depends on if they're happy or sad to go. Mm-hmm. When If they're ever having a tough time transitioning, then I am a mess. If they're okay, it's easier, but sometimes they're okay and I'm still a mess. So it just goes with the territory. I think I've learned over time how to deal with it better, but you certainly should not feel embarrassed and you can have outside interests and yet miss your kids so much from the inside. It's like a kind of grief. You know, you yeah. can you can be, you know, having a great career, but if you've lost someone you love, that it doesn't matter. There's still there's something that's deep down is is throwing everything off. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on linkedin you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank linkedin helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role in a given month over 70 percent of linkedin users don't even visit other leading job sites So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. In Nashville, there was the the devastating and atrocious mass shooting last week. And my children were, which I'm very grateful, they were with their father. And, but that's not something that you ever prepare for, like, how to then I I found myself like wait everyone says like hug your children tight tonight and I'm like what but like you know things like that and then later in the week we had a tornado uh, warning again up until 1 a.m and I'm just sitting there by myself next to my helmets being like (laughs) do they have their helmets next to them are they okay and of course like everything was fine it wasn't even a bad storm by the end of it but it's like it's just like this um letting go of of all these moments that 
you've made yourself so available and having to like pass on this baton where I was like, when I had babies, I didn't want babies just half the time. Like I wanted them all the time. And, and it's been a very different, you know, emotional trajectory than I anticipated based off of how many other people who had also been through separation, divorce um, with children, like how they had experienced it. So I just really do appreciate how much you've shared in different interviews and in in essays and things that you've written um, about that experience because um, it was nice. It felt less lonely for sure. But then what makes you go, okay, I got these four babies. Like you knew that you needed to find something for yourself. You'd always been a voracious reader to a certain extent. But of course, anyone with a young child knows that it's very hard (laughs) to, to sit down and be able to casually, leisurely read an entire book and retain it. Was there an initial first book that you were either sent or given or that you purchased that made you kind of have that spark for reading again? Yeah, I know it's funny. My whole podcast is called Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. And it is, <laughs> I stand by that. That um, um, Although I found, I have managed to find time, but it wasn't that one book drew me back. It's that, well, to be honest, what happened is I was seeing this therapist at the time and talking about the difficulty of, of transitioning with some of these weekends alone or, you know, without the kids. And and she was like, Debbie, remember, you love books so much. Like, because I would always talk about, this is why I'm not a good therapy candidate. I would like go in and like, like, what are you doing? Like, what do you like to read? And like, you know, we would like sit there and talk about books. And I'm like, what am I even doing? Like, this is not therapy. I'm just like having a conversation about like her favorite spinning instructor or whatever, but it's my fault because I kept derailing the conversations away from me. But, um, uh, she was like, Zibby, with a good book, you'll never be lonely. And I'm like, that's so true. So, um, it's not that I had stopped. In fact, I remember nursing my third kid, I think. Anyway, and I, I would take a book and like prop it up on the pump, you know, in the middle. Like when I needed to pump, I would have a book propped up. So reading for me is, is, um, clearly a more effective means of therapy than therapy. (laughs) Uh, so I've really relied on it forever. Um, but writing, I had, gotten a little bit away from, um, I had just not had as much time mentally or space to pursue both reading and writing. So I think it was after my therapist said that, that, and, and then I just kept writing. I've been writing my whole life when I get upset about things. So my first essay that I had published, I was in high school and it was when I had gained weight after my own parents got divorced. I was 14 when I wrote it and, um, and I had gained 20 pounds, which by the way, is like far less than I weigh now, but it's fine. Anyway, uh, this I was also been fourteen and, and I like wrote the you know early on the, the ni- 19, late 90s. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yes, I was. Ni- yeah, I was ni- nineteen ninety when I was fourteen, and um, I also had a mother, have a mother who, you know, runs six miles a day and is like, you know. Oh, you know, she had me going to spas when I was, she, it, yeah. that's a whole nother podcast. But anyway, um, I was upset about it. I wrote a whole essay, um, about that, which ended up being published when she found it and sent it in so, and decided to send it in with me. But, um, so it wasn't, 
out of the ordinary for me to sit down and write when I got upset about things. And the thing I decided to write about, which got me back into writing, was how overwhelming the demands were on moms, particularly as a divorced mom. When I had the kids, I wanted to be with the kids. And instead, I was at my desk so much dealing with all the emails related to kids and all the different schools and what the assignments for parents were and what I had to bring in and this day and that day and parent this. And I was like, I just want to like sit on the floor and play with them. I love being around kids. Uh, I used to be a camp counselor and a babysitter. I'm like a kid person. I would like love, like I pick up, you know, not that I like steal people's kids. <laughs> you know, I'll, I'm the one who's like your kid. Like I'm holding yeah. strangers' kids. Do you know what I mean? I'm just at the that party where like, wait, wait, where'd she go? Yeah. Yes. And you're just with all the kids yeah. in the I'm playroom. Like, I'll, I'll yeah. hold your baby. <laughs> yes. I'll hold your baby. Um, so I was really frustrated. So I wrote a whole essay when I was asked to bring in empty toilet paper rolls the next day. Because I was like, are you kidding me? Now I'm going to have to go around the house and unspool piles of toilet paper. What am I going to do with the toilet paper? I'm going to leave it on the floor. Like, come on. And I was like, that's it. I've had, I've had enough. I can't do this. I, I cannot be perfect. I cannot meet every need of every school and after school activity. Uh, so I wrote this whole essay called A Mother's Right to Sanity. And I posted it uh, on HuffPost and they like put it up on their front page and it went sort of viral at the time. And that encouraged me to keep writing, which I did. And I got back into writing. I got back into reading and I was like, maybe I can go back to this lifelong goal of selling a novel or a memoir. And so that's really, those are the things that got me on that path again. And then you're like, or I could buy a microphone, figure out like GarageBand and make a podcast about all these books that I'm reading. How do you jump from one to the other? And and because this was 2018, you started the podcast. Yes. And um, yeah. And did you initially do just five episodes every single week? No, 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 okay. no, no, no. Okay. You worked your oh way up. I was no. just like, were you, like, what was this? <laughs> what was the plan? Because that was... That is, I mean, did you, you didn't have any experience. Did you have other friends who were podcasting at the time? I didn't know anyone who did a podcast. I did not do them. I was doing them one a week. In fact, I remember after doing them one a week for a year, somebody from a network said, you know, if you were to ever join this network, you'd have to do two a week. And I was like, oh, no, 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 I could never do that. <laughs> and now since March of 2020, I've done seven a week every single week, which is, I don't even know why I do this, but I love it, which is why I do it. Um, but it's a lot. Uh, what happened, crazy enough, I was, I had been sitting in the assembly for my kids' school and this, and the theme of the whole year of assemblies is voice. And I was a really shy kid and I found my voice through writing. When I wrote all the thoughts that were like streaming through my head, blah, 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 I can, I can sit down and they all come out and they make sense on paper. And so I thought, what if I give a little talk here? about how I found my voice through writing and then I could inspire, inspire the shy kids or whoever, whichever kids in the audience with my kids who were mortified by the way that I ended up doing this. Um, I could inspire them. So I pitched this whole idea to the school and they said yes. And then eventually I got on stage and gave this whole speech. And in the middle of it, I said, I made some joke like, well, I don't have an agent right now, but if any of you know an agent, haha, I'm looking. And then after the the talk, a woman ran up, ran up to me. Her name's Sarah Mlinowski. She's since become one of my closest friends and said, you know, are you really looking for an agent? I can introduce you to my agent. Let's have coffee. And we had coffee and she said, I have this gift of always knowing what people should do next. She's like, that's like my skill. I can just figure it out. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. And at that point, I had written a book proposal called uh, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books because my Kyle, who is now my husband, uh, I had written, I don't know, maybe 20 essays or so 
And he said, one night you should take all those essays and turn them into a book. And I said, ugh, moms don't have time to read books, which I thought was hilarious. And then I said, that, that'll be the name of my book. So I had this book proposal that I wrote and I gave it to my friend, Sarah. And I was like, here, I think I want to write this book. I think it'd be really easy. I already have a lot of the essays and I could write more essays. I love writing essays. What do you think? And she said, well, I don't think so. And I spoke to another agent who also said, I don't think so. And then Sarah said, let me figure it out. I don't think that's your next move. And then, I don't know, a few days later, a week later, I was leaving the kid's school. She was walking in and she she like calls out to me, a podcast. And I was like, what? And she's like, you should do a podcast. And I was like, what's a podcast? Is Sarah and charging? Can in. I have coffee with her? Can she? You yeah. should. She's amazing. <laughs> she is amazing. I've since found out from so many people that she has also set their lives on a great direction. So she should really do this. She is a best-selling middle grade author herself. She has a new book out, I think next week called Best Wishes oh 2, which gosh. is part of a series. She's amazing. Okay. She's written like 50 books. Okay. So she yells podcast at you. Yes. <laughs> so I went home. And I literally took my phone and sat on this couch that you see behind me. And I couldn't find the podcast app on my phone. And I'm like talking to Kyle and I was like, well, how do I even get podcasts? Where are they? And so I Googled it and I found the app and I'm like, what would I even do a podcast about? This is crazy. And then I thought, because I had been sending out essays and things to friends who kept saying they didn't have time to read. I was like, well, maybe I'll record them on the podcast and then they'll have time to listen to my essays. And then because I'm always ripping essays and things out of the newspaper or magazines, I could read some of my favorite things that I'm finding and read those too. So then I found out that was illegal. I was like, great. Uh-huh. Cool, okay. cool, cool. Yep. All right. Yeah. Uh, but at that point I had the logo, which I had designed on 99designs.com, which is a super fun site where you can do these little contests. Um, I love and I had the committed, logo, but not like the legal ability to do what you were going oh, to. Oh yeah. I'm, I'm also obsessed with logos. I probably have like a hundred logos that I've had designed. I logos are, I love, I love logos and branding and all of that. Um, so I thought I had the title and then I thought, well, if I can't inter- if I can't read their essays, maybe I could actually just interview the people about what they were writing about. And then I could interview some of my authors who I've always loved because I've idolized authors forever. I used to be pen pals with authors. This is back in the eighties now. Um, and I thought, well, I barely know any authors, but I knew a couple, like three. So I thought I would start with them and just see what happened. And that's really how it started. I overprepared like crazy. I had all my questions that I would type out ahead of time and send to the authors. And I would read every page of the book and underline and spend just like an enormous amount of time preparing. And as soon as I sat here, this is my exact same microphone as I started with five years ago. I just plugged it into my computer. I had Googled how to do everything, YouTube videos, Google. Nobody taught me how to do it. And I sat here. My first guest was a friend of mine from business school named Lee Carpenter. And she had written a book at that point. Now she's written several. And I was like, I love this. I I love this. I love to, I don't know how you feel about it, Candice. Like I love talking to people. I especially love talking to authors having read the book. So I always have something to talk about as opposed to just having to make conversation, but having a structure and getting to talk about something I've loved. I I don't, from the first time I was like, oh, this is going to be good. And I just kept doing it. And doing it very, very well. Like it, it is, expl- you've went to, from having to like YouTube how to create a podcast <laughs> to having a, 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 your own 
like whole, I'm like, enterprise isn't the right word. Compound isn't the right word. What's the whole, what, like, like an ecosystem. ecosystem. There's a more badass word that I'm blanking on right now. <laughs> I have not had a new, enough coffee today. But you, like, you have an, an empire. You're, you're building an empire in just such a short amount of time. Um, but also, it's not rushed. It's done very well and thought out. Um, and, and to what you were asking and insinuating, I love this too. I, I, while I was not super shy, I'm like an introverted, an extroverted introvert. I don't know. But my thing is I have like a, like a very low key social anxiety. Like I'm very much like, I do not want to meet my idols. It scares me. It will, I, I will black out on anything I will say. I will be very scared. That I'm gonna, I will always say the wrong thing. And um, I'm not good at networking. I'm awful at networking. Like my version of going to, if I get in the door to like an event or a party in which it's a great opportunity to like meet some important people, like my favorite place is just to hide in the corner with a glass of wine. <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> And I don't want anyone to look at me or talk to me. And I just want to watch everyone. Um, but that's not how you can always operate in the world. And I actually do like talking to people. Like I'm great at dinner parties. My favorite place in the whole world is an airport bar because I think that people come in and everyone's guards are down. You know, it's this bizarre community, like transactional community where like everyone's in route to the next destination. And there's like this comfort of this like bizarre version of anonymity that goes along with that because you know, it's like so temporary. So everyone's guards are down and they're very vulnerable in a short period of time. And like, Hmm. that's my favorite thing in the whole world. And I think that like, I feel that sense whenever I get to podcast and and interview people and just sit down and have conversations with people I would have never met otherwise or had the guts to be like, hey, can I maybe sit down and talk with this person? Like I would never do that just out of being a fan of someone. But if it's like, like I was a, like I, I was a personal assistant back in the day and like that's where I thrive. If I have to do something for someone else, I'm like, I will get it done. And the second that it's for me, I'm like, no, 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 it's okay. Don't worry. Like I don't want to waste your time. <laughs> I totally get that. I will ha- I have to say I was at an event for the Paris Review last night with like mobs of people and there was this one area where there are three steps up and like a little landing and that is where I found I was like this is perfect. Yeah. I can just sit here and watch. <laughs> like there are like two people I might want to talk to. There they are. I'll just go talk to them and I'm going to go sit down. Yeah. So that is still <laughs> me, you know. And I think also for people who have any anxiety, a podcast like this, you know like date and time what you're both sort of in agreement, you're going to talk yeah. as opposed to at an event like that, where you want to talk to someone, maybe they don't want to talk to you. And so then what do you do? And then you feel stupid. And you know, there's none of that. You're here. You're both willing, like just have a nice conversation. Yeah. So yeah. Um, in those early days of podcasting, did you know what it was going to become? Like when was the moment where you went, Oh shit, this is, this has legs. Like this is built, this is now a foundation. And I, not only can build on this, but I want to, and this is the time. So it was a little slow at the beginning. <laughs> I would get like 50 downloads or something. I'm like, oh my God, 50 people downloaded. That's amazing. Wh- who are they? You know, are they like out my window? Which 50 people? Uh, but then I was like, wait, 50 people is not a lot of people at all to download once I started researching and and all of that. And I was like, and there were times where I was literally like, okay, like 
I'm not going to ever get more than 283 people downloading an episode. And that's fine because I still love what I'm doing. Uh, but I guess what started to happen, and I do love marketing and branding, as I said, and I, I view it all as like a really fun challenge. So part of it was trying to brand the podcast and get it out there. But I, uh, I started doing a lot of these salon events, salon style events in my house. And I would just invite over a bunch of people and interview a person in front of them so they could get to know the author. And then I would sell the author's book. And that would actually spread the word about the podcast sort of organically through all the people I knew and then through the authors. And um, I ended up having these two big book fairs, which also really spread the word where I had all the authors from my first six months of the podcast come, invited them all, had them sign their books and had all my friends here in New York shop for the books at the holidays, which was really effective and sort of paved the way. Now I've opened a bookstore. So that was, you know, five years ago, four years ago, uh, my first little test run of book sales. But um, the time I knew it was really taking off is, well, two, two times, I guess. One is when I got to moderate an event at Barnes and Noble and thought that like I had hit the jackpot of success. Uh, <laughs> Jamie Brenner, an author had said she was doing an event and would I, you know, be her in conversation partner on stage. And I was like, oh my gosh, at Barnes and Noble, do you know how many times I've gone to Barnes and Noble and watched author events and now I get to be on stage? And she's like, most people are doing this as a favor to a friend. And I'm like, no, this is what I want to do. <laughs> like, yes, I'll do this. Thank you. Um, so that was really exciting. And then that started all these other people asking me to do events in stores and thereby spreading the word of the podcast even more. But what really changed things was that one author who was on my podcast told a friend of hers who wrote for Vulture from New York Magazine about my podcast. Now I'd started doing these salons and was really affecting book sales and all of that. And the woman asked if she could do a whole feature on me. And they ended up writing this big story. She came out and stayed with me over the summer. It was like a whole big to-do. And an article came out in Vulture called... Um, like NYC's most powerful book influencer has a podcast on Park Avenue or something like that. And I read it walking down Lexington Avenue and like stopped in my tracks. And I was like, oh my gosh. And I was like scrolling up and up and up and up. It was so long and I couldn't believe it. And all of a sudden, like everyone's emailing me and texting me. And uh, yeah, that was when I was like, okay, so this is good. And then also, I guess I got nominated for a Webby Award after doing it for a year. And um, that was also really exciting because that was like a totally independent external validation for what I was doing from like complete strangers. Um, and actually now this, the Webby Award nominations came out yesterday and the magazine I've launched got nominated for Webby Award for like best cultural website. And I was like, this is so, this is such a full circle moment. Now I've like built this up enough to launch a magazine and now that's getting nominated. So I don't know. Those are some of the, the, the key moments in the beginning. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. You keep saying how this was just something that you really enjoyed doing and enjoyed doing. Was this something where you were thinking long term, like this will be my next career? Were you even in the mindset? I mean, you've talked a lot about how you even back in 2003, you wrote a memoir and you were trying to get it published. Like you've been wanting to publish a book for a very, 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 very long time. Was that still always the end game? Like, were you even thinking about that? Um, as you were going through the process of this podcast becoming more and more popular? Was that always in the back of your mind? Or did you for a moment go like, well, maybe that isn't the direction I meant to go. And maybe I do need to let that go. I always wanted to write and sell a book. I've written many books. Um, I really wanted to sell a book uh, and have it published. The podcast was part of, originally when Sarah suggested I do a podcast, she said I had to grow my platform because I was not on social media at all, like was literally not even on it, had no following, had been freelancing for 20 years and it made no difference. And I was like, okay, so much for that. Um, so I knew logically that it would be a good idea to have a podcast, but once I started the podcast, it no longer became about growing a platform, but it did become about the podcast itself. But I still always wanted to sell a book, but I never thought the podcast itself would become a career or profitable or <laughs> any of that. Like the end goal was the book deal, essentially. That's really what I wanted was to be an author and just be an author. But then when I fell in love with this, I was like, at, at some point I was like, even if I become an author, I am still going to want to do this because I love this. And that is what's ended up happening. I have become an author, but I also love my podcast and I'm still doing it seven days a week. I've heard you mention in other interviews that you were encouraged by having other, when you were interviewing other authors and hearing how many times they'd been rejected by publishing houses and going like, oh, this is just something that everyone goes through. And I think that that especially... Um, that can get get lost on a lot of people. And I know a lot of women specifically who I've gotten to know 
in these last couple of years, especially post-COVID, who maybe either have older children or their jobs completely changed because of 20, you know, because of COVID. And they're in this like, now what do I do? I can't just start a career now. I can't just start over. Like I, I now have to let go of all these dreams that I had. Like how is any of this ever going to come into fruition? It's too late. It's too late. It's too late. And it's such bullshit that we've like decided that if you don't peak by the time you're in your like mid thirties, then you're just done, especially for women and especially after they've had children. And, um, and it just was so nice to hear that that kind of sparked something within you or just like reminded you like, oh, all these people that I hold up on a pedestal that have these incredible successes have also been told no, just like me. But did that lend itself to you being able to picture yourself on your own pedestal having successes? It definitely helped to hear from all these people who had persevered. And when I first wrote a novel, I, well, I wrote it as a mem. after my best friend died in business, when I was in business school, which isn't, she died in the September 11th attacks, which I wrote about over and over again to process and to share and all of that. And that was what my memoir and novel originally were about. And I just kept writing it and rewriting it to figure out the best format. And it it ultimately didn't sell. But at the time, I didn't know any other authors to, to be able to be like, oh my gosh, you guys didn't sell. I just knew like everybody I knew from business school who was succeeding. And that was so mortifying to me. I felt like such a failure. They were all like on the right track. And that happened for a while. And friends from college and just for life in general, like everybody was going up this track, sort of like this escalator up right? With a very steady rhythm. I'm going to go for this. And I was promoted to this and I was promoted to that. And I'm like, well, I have, don't have a book deal now. Then I like randomly started working at Weight Watchers because I lost weight on the program. And I'm like, <laughs> I really like to excel when there are like clear metrics. So I was like, oh, if I do this and then I keep this weight off for five weeks, I can be a lifetime member. And if I'm a lifetime oh, no. member for this amount of weeks, I can be a receptionist. No. And then if I'm a receptionist, I can be a leader. So I did all that. I became a leader. I started leading meetings. Are you potentially susceptible to cults a little bit? <laughs> I, I am going to stay as far away no. <laughs> from any cult people as I can. Um, but yeah, so I was leading meetings all over the city and had like private clients and was helping people lose weight and all of that. As my friends were like becoming whatever at American Express and had all these big deal jobs. And I'm like literally stocking the shelves on like, you know, a, a walk up on like Third Avenue with extra milkshakes. I mean, I was like, what am I doing? But were you happy or no? Um, Was I happy? Because I feel like that's what it comes down to. Because some people will be like, oh, I was thrilled. But other people, like what I'm hearing from you is I was doing it and I was succeeding in the little box that I created for myself. And you like you were able to succeed within that world. But is that what you really wanted in the bigger picture of life? Right. No, I mean... I wanted to be a published author. Instead, I was weighing people in, which is fine. I because I did love that too. And I I love helping people. And I at the time loved people helping people lose weight, which now is like so anyway, the farthest thing from my mind. But uh it is not what I wear where I wanted to be in life. And then I felt like, should I have gone back into my market? I used to be in marketing. Should I have gone back to Unilever, tried to get another type of job, I just felt like I had so fallen off the track and that I could never get back on. And then I stayed home with my kids and a lot of women in particular who I knew had kids, but went right back to work. Right. And so they kept going up and up and up. And I kept just like 
being in this sort of like floating in this lake off to the side of their office towers of their dreams. Do you know what I mean? And I was like, okay, you're right in the kiddie pool over here. Um, trying to collect toilet, just, toilet paper rolls. <laughs> like, right, with toilet paper, <laughs> yeah. with like discarded toilet paper around me, being like, what happened here? What on earth? Where did I go wrong? Um, so that was hard. And and then with, with my writing dreams, which never went away, um, when I started interviewing authors, it really did inspire me to keep writing and find something and find another way into my story. And why did I want to tell my story? And I started asking myself these questions and learning from them. I mean, one author had told me in the beginning, you know, how important it was to read and that every time he looked at a book, he would like take it apart in his head and figure out the structure behind it and this and that. And I was like, really? Like, I don't do that at all. Like, that would be an interesting way to analyze a book. And yeah. And then I had people like Mitch Album like sit right here at my desk and say, yeah, I was rejected 58 times or whatever it was, but I never gave up. And it was that last submission. And I'm thinking to myself, I only submitted my novel to like six people. What if I had submitted it to 60 back in 2004? What would have happened? Probably nothing, but you never know. So yes, the authors, it was like taking a master class. It still is. I mean, I did four podcasts today with amazing authors and I learned something from every single interview I do. Um, so yes, the authors have been incredibly instrumental in motivating me, teaching me things. And and then every episode I would say, what would you say to, you know, what's your advice for aspiring authors? Meaning me. Like, that's why I was asking the question. In fact, I had a friend be like, you know, I don't think you should ask that question at the end there because how many aspiring authors do you think are even listening to your show? And I'm like, I don't really care because, like, <laughs> because I, I love this advice. And it turns out a lot of advice about writing and not giving up is not actually about writing and not, it's about something far bigger than a book. It's about life. So, and books in general, they're really just a way to talk about life yeah. and feelings and emotions and people and relationships. So, so that was a long answer to say yes. <laughs> yes, authors helped. And now you get to help because not only um, are you a published author many times over, but also you've just launched your own publishing company, Zibby Books. Or and So you get to be on the other side helping other writers in their own experiences and their journey of finally submitting their work and seeing it come out into the world. What has that experience been like for you? That has been amazing. Totally amazing. And it's all come out of the conversations that I would have with authors and some of their dissatisfactions or dreams of things being different structurally in the industry and people saying this, that, or the other about publishing and my thinking, well, could I help with this? Like everybody's been sitting around complaining for like two years, you know, what could I possibly do something different? And would it really be that hard? Um, I think I've underestimated how, <laughs> how hard it was. It's really hard, but, um, I've built up a wonderful team. It is such a joy to read a book and then publish it. In fact, we have a book coming out called Super Bloom. Oh Speaking my of gosh. Super Bloom, I know I have amazing. to send you this. Yes, please um, do. It's so on brand. I feel like I should put it in front of your yes. little wall of flowers <laughs> behind you. Um, but this is one of uh, our first novels. It comes out in May and it's called Super Bloom by Megan Tatey. 
and this is a hilarious novel, just just one of the 12 that we do every year uh, about a massage therapist, kind of a reluctant massage therapist who ends up taking on this wacky assignment from a romance novelist to spy on on her clients and then decides (laughs) that she really wants to be the author herself. Why should she give away her good material? But it's all set at a Vermont spa. She's so funny. Experiences like reading Super Bloom in Microsoft Word or whatever for the first time and being like, wait, I can take this hilarious attachment in my computer that like I'm reading sitting here and turn it into this and then design it and do the marketing and like make cool end papers and just like help this debut author like make her dreams come true when my own dreams were dashed so many times over. And finally I achieved, you know, my own memoir bookends came out in July of 2022. And I have a novel coming out finally for myself in April of 2024. But the satisfaction that I get from publishing other people's books is far greater and so different. It's as if my kids have had books. Like it's, it, it's like being a grandmother or something like that. Like I am yeah. so proud and I can help and direct and, and, and be a part of it. But, you know, I don't have to like stress about it the way I would if it was my own book, you know? So it's, it's amazing. And um, I, I'm just so glad all of the rejections have really played a role because now I'm using it to help other people. So no, it all it all added up. It all there was a reason for all of it. You could say there always is, and it's, and you <laughs> and you mentioned. I know that a lot of these the books that um, you're now kind of holding the hands of these writers, and you mentioned it feels like they're your children. Um, but speaking of your children, that is also an interesting shift. You know, when you're able to be home and be with your kids and give all of your time and focus your energy on you know, toilet paper rolls is is like the most minor thing. But when you start working more, like this has been another big thing is, you know, my younger children, like this was a big shift for them, especially my seven-year-old last year when I started going back to work a lot more. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't necessarily negative. It wasn't necessarily to her negative or positive, just different. But it's also been really fun, you know, for her to be able to see me, I think, have like a sense of my own authority within my life and ask me questions about the things I'm passionate about and in her kind of start to question what she really loves. Like, have you seen, you know, what shifts have you seen in the way that you parent and the way that in your relationships with your children as they've grown, as you've also grown within your own relationship with yourself and your, your identity? Yeah, I'm glad you said that about your daughter and going back to work. I mean, it has been a big shift in the, in the home. And I work from home. So my team, when they come in, the publishing team, we work in my dining room. So I try to still be here. I still stop working every day and like run over and pick them up from school. My little guys at least, and then run back and always drop them at school. I have like hard, not that I'm not on my phone sometimes, but you know, I I, I leave the house to get them. But uh, my older kids, I have twins who are almost 16 years old. So it's them who I was at home with nonstop. And they are the ones in particular who have seen the change in me the most. And they're like, mom, we can't believe it. And they're really proud of me. It's really cute because they see, and they were out, you know, asking the guy at Joe and the Juice with me to vote for my first Webby Award. Do you know what I mean? Like they've been helping me along the way as I've shared really everything. You guys, like this didn't work. And oh no, and you guys, isn't this? So I definitely share a lot with them. And the little guys, so those guys are almost 16. And then I have a nine-year-old and an eight-year-old. And I don't think they totally remembered what it was like, despite all of the time. One of them the other day was like, oh, I've never been to like the Museum of Natural History. And I'm like, do you know know. how how many times (laughs) I took you there? 
I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> and it is so big and you can't see the whole thing and you can never find the squid yeah. in the whale when you need to find the squid in the whale. And it yeah. is a whole, yes. No, I just took my seven-year-old yeah. there in the fall and I knew going, I was like, for my own sanity, my present to myself as a mother is I'm going to hire a guide for like 50 bucks from this <laughs> random website who knew nothing about the history of the museum, but just knew how to get everywhere. And I was like, best <laughs> 50 bucks I have ever spent in my life. <laughs> I did not even know that was an option, but yeah, wow. Yeah, no, I'm... Good inside information. I like to plan things. Like that is, I'm trying to be better at not being able to plan things and just like rolling with life and being present and, you know, strong within the knowing of myself. But no, I like a, I will research the hell out of everything. Um, wow. Yeah. Yes. I mean, I, I like to think I'm, I research things too, but you just like totally put me to shame with that. This is great. I'm going to have to get your tips on other things. I've got a great New York itinerary for like Amazing. a mom-child trip. Um, wow. But also just speaking of things that you really can't plan for, um, another great idea, I think, for like maybe a romance novel would be like this woman and she's got kids and a son that's playing tennis. And then all of a sudden she's like not uh -huh. dating, but then there's this like hot tennis coach that she starts fighting with. Like, I love your love story, um, especially how much your uh, husband has played a part in in encouraging you to uh, embark on this new path in life that's always been there, but like really walk down it. And the way that you guys met, I mean, especially the fact that you weren't online, you were just going about your business. It is so, it's just so wonderful uh, for my very cold, cold heart. It, war it warmed it up a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad. Yes, uh, Kyle was filling in for a friend and taught my older son, uh, tennis and my son hates tennis. And I knew that, but I was like making him do it that day anyway, because it was Christmas break and like, I just had a baby and I'm like, and, uh, yeah. And he called me out on the court and was like, Hey, you know, your son doesn't like tennis. And I was like, yeah, I, I know that. <laughs> yeah. Um, he's like, he's like, well, I don't think he should be taking tennis lessons. And I was like, well, I do. He's like, well, he's not going to be taking tennis lessons from me. And I was like, excuse, like, this is an option. What are you talking about here? I, like, you're, you're, I'm at like this big club. Like, anyway, um, so I was actually nothing but annoyed when I first met him. Because, um, and my son was just talking about how much he loved football. And at the time, I guess he was nine or something. He has now like been recruited for boarding schools to play football um, for schools. Yeah, he's actually great at football, whatever. But I was trying to not, <laughs> you know... <laughs> There was so much anti-football stuff. Scary. I wanted to protect him and whatever, but um, turns out he was right. And um, <laughs> Kyle, my husband, had also used to play football, so he loves football. Anyway, he's the one who like enabled this with my son. And um, I literally just went to his big assembly he had to give in front of his whole school about, you know, thank God for my stepdad who encouraged my mom to let me play football. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my gosh. Uh, but yes, I met him, but then I didn't see him again for many months, um, almost a year later. And when I actually started taking tennis lessons myself and then he was my teacher and um, mm -hmm. yeah. So I know it's such a stereotype, but uh, did that he is help what you happened. with your backswing? I am a great tennis player now. <laughs> <laughs> Watch me go. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, um, man. But, well, it is just yeah. so lovely to meet you. Before um, you head out, I'm going to ask you five questions. I love to ask my guests at the end. It's just kind of word association. It can be a word, a short sentence, just the first thing that pops in your mind. Um, okay. Zibby, tell us something that you like. Chocolate. Something that you know. 
Books. Something that you hate. Um, truffles. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I hate the smell of truffles. Truffle oil, truffle anything. It like turns my it's stomach. It's been done a lot. It's been, it's on yeah. everything. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Something that you love that's not like your friends, family, children. Um, Something for you that you love. Monkey stuffed animals. <laughs> Is there a collection? Are they hiding behind your colorful, organized <laughs> books back there? Is- I, know, I know I make it sound like I have like a thousand. I uh, I had one growing up and now every birthday, my, my younger daughter thinks it's so cute and every holiday to get me another one. Aww. So I have probably like nine of all different shapes and sizes. <laughs> That's amazing. Arranged on my bed. <laughs> well, the last question was a quirky little fact about you. Um, so if you can top, uh, you know, monkey stuffed animal <laughs> collection, <laughs> I'd love to hear you try. <laughs> um, yeah. Other quirky little facts. Um, I don't know. I used to be a really great juggler. Ooh, <laughs> that's important. You just always need one of those things in your back pocket. That's important. Yeah, you know. That's important. Well, Zibby, it's so nice to meet you. Congratulations again. Bookends is out everywhere. I cannot read to, wait to you. read Super Bloom. Congratulations on Zibby Books. And truly, it is so, so nice to meet you. Thank you so much. This has been a Super Bloom podcast hosted by me, Candace King, produced by Melissa D. Montz and Diamond Imprint Productions and advertisement partnerships with ACAST.